This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. UtilityMuffinLabs.com is the source for podcasts like 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, the NerdWords Podcast, and the Playing Hooky Podcast, to name a few. We offer gaming, music, and pop culture content, as well as graphic and audio design, voice talent, and more. Go to UtilityMuffinLabs.com to commission us for your audio needs, digital artwork, and advertising opportunities. UtilityMuffinLabs.com, consistently rated adequate. Hello, I'm Josh Heath, one of your co-hosts of Werewolf the Podcast. First, I'd like to announce that we now have a Patreon and a Discord. So, you can find us on Patreon as Werewolf the Podcast. Patronage of at least $1 gets you access to that Discord server. So, if you want to hang out with me and the other folks involved with Werewolf the Podcast, that is the best way to do so. Um, Higher levels also include extra podcasts and access to our persistent Discord game, A World of Rage, which is going to be run using Werewolf the Apocalypse 20th Anniversary Edition rules. Um, So please consider becoming a patron so that we can keep making these wonderful shows for you and make other additional content that makes your life exciting and answers the question, when will you rage? But... Before you do that, before you leave and go and join the Patreon, I would like to introduce my new co-host, Carrie, the legend. Carrie, can you introduce yourself to the listeners of Werewolf the Podcast? Well, first, I'd like everyone to know that it's my time to rage. (laughs) Now, hi, everybody. My name is Carrie. I go by the legend on the On a Roll podcast, which is also another gaming podcast, and... I like werewolf. <laughs> um, I don't know how much everybody wants to know about me. So um, real quickly, just the rundown is I'm an artist. I, I do lots of different art for, for real fun studios. I'm a drinker of much Pepsi. I am an avid Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fan. Donatello is the best. And that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. I'm not super exciting. Carrie is super exciting, whether or not she admits it or not. Carrie, um, the first thing that I want to know, I know this sort of, how long have you been playing slash running werewolf games? Um, I started my first, well, I started, I I played a tabletop game of werewolf back when it first came out, Hmm. but I started running a LARP. It was the first thing I ever ran in 2000. Awesome. So you are very familiar with this game from pretty much day one onward. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm excited to have you with us. I'm excited to have you as part of the team because um, you're a, a big fan of Werewolf and I also am. As much as I say critiquey things about this game, uh, there's so much to love about it. We, we hurt the ones we love. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not a healthy thing, but we do. Well, that is certainly but true. we do. And, and it, it, the reason that we pick stuff apart is because we know it so well and we pour over it again and again and again. Yep. If it didn't capture our interest, we wouldn't go back to it. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Um, what I'm going to enjoy is Carrie's positivity toward 
my negativity. It will be a very <laughs> helpful balance to the yeah, podcast. I'll be like, good for you not liking stuff. Woo! <laughs> All right. So today we are going to dive in to Bastet. This is the uh, the second. This is listed as Changing Breed Book One, but the <laughs> weird. Yeah, the weirdness of White Wolf publication is that this book actually came out after the Nuisha Changing Breed book was published. Mm-hmm. So this is Changing Breed book one that happened to come out as Changing Breed book two. Um, Carrie, tell us a little bit about what Bastet is and kind of like a real quick overview and then I'll dive into the publication details. Okay, well, before I do that, I'd like to uh, state that I had to go over this book again because it's been a long time since I've read this specific book. And I had this book out on my kitchen table, and my daughter walked by, and she's 10 now, and she's just starting to get into role-playing. Like, she got D&D for her birthday. Mm -hmm. And um, so she goes, Bastet, what is that? And I said, what do you think a Bastet is? And her answer was, well, it sounds, Bastet sounds like a gun with a sleek handle, a long muzzle end that's easy to refill the bullets in. And I thought, that's not exactly wrong. <laughs> right, it's kind of right. <laughs> I was like, well, okay. Um, and then when I told her what it was, she said, well, why don't they just call them werecats? And then she got mad and walked away. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> but, um Bastet is a book all about the different uh, werecats and where they come from, the different breeds, the different uh, tribes, and lots of history that uh, doesn't mash up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's um, uh, the folks over at Mage the Podcast, which I am a um, a sort of, uh, I'm a co-host now. It's complicated. My relationship with Mage the Podcast is complicated. All over the place, sir. Uh Um, it's the only way I survive because, uh, anyway, let's leave it yeah. at that. Um, <laughs> um, they have been talking about internal consistency of White Wolf books a lot recently, particularly in Mage. And, um, you're right. This is a book that uh, is about werecats that has some internal and external consistency issues. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we will get into that more soon. Um, by the numbers, this book was originally published in 1997. It was written and conceptualized, I think that's an interesting turn of phrase, uh, yeah. by the man himself, Phil Satiro Sprucato. Um, additional writing was done by Bill Bridges and Richard Dansky. Um, some brainstorming and inspiration was done by Wendy Blackson, Bill Bridges, Brett Brooks, um, Lazarus Chernick, and Kat Simone. These are some folks that people are, are that are still involved in the role-playing writing communities yeah. at large. Um, it obviously, it was developed by Ethan Skemp because everything in this era was. And the art, uh, there's a whole group of people, Steve Bryant, Mike Cheney, Steve Ferris, Matt Milberger, Heather McKinney, Paul Phillips, Steve Prescott, Alex Shakeman, Ron Spencer, and Joshua Gabriel Timbrook. So there are a lot of people involved in the art, which is fairly normal for this era of White Wolf book. Yeah. Um, the cover art, so all of these cover arts were designed by Joshua, uh, by Joshua Gabriel Timbrook. It's my name. You think I wouldn't get that name wrong, but, um, yeah, that, um, the cover art is that same sort of style that's familiar for these books. Do you have any thoughts, like, before we dive into the comic and everything about, um, I don't know, anything related to any of that information? 
Um, the only thing that I always thought was a little weird is that they used the Guru glyph on the cover for the Bastet book. Like they have, especially Bastet have their own glyph system. So like, e- even when they're like, you know, look, this is separate. They're still tying it so heavily to Guru. Yeah. I always thought that was a little strange. And that is a thing I think we're going to mention throughout this book is like, yeah, they're their own special separate thing, but everything ties back to werewolf society in one form or another. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, This opens up with a full color comic. And I believe, though I could be wrong, I believe this is the first full color glossy comic that we've seen uh, in the beginning of any of these books. And it's set in the Amazon uh, war. So I look at it and I kind of was like, oh, wait, is this supposed to be for the Amazon book? Rage Across the Amazon? It would fit better there. Overall, what are your thoughts of the comic, Carrie? I'm an artist. I said that earlier. So I am going to be heavy, heavily critical of a lot of the art in all these books. So if, if, if the listeners don't like that, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, I like Ron Spencer's artwork. I, I think that his artwork is great for covers and great for like full page chapter starters he is not a sequential artist at all Mm -hmm. it is hard to follow his artwork is so frenetic that there are times I'm like why is there an eyeball there and then I have to trace it around and go oh because there's a person there And, and so while it makes war feel really uh uh you know makes you it almost makes your heart pound because it's so hard to follow. And I guess that's how it would feel if you were in war. But I don't want to feel like that when I'm reading about it. And I, I'm i not a fan of a book that's supposed to be about Bastet starting off with werewolves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's so fair. It, this, is, um, this story is not bad. I'm not going to say that. I just don't think it fits with the rest of the book. And that is kind of frustrating in that I read this and I was really confused about why this set up the Bastet as a uh, as a concept. It didn't seem to flow together very well. Agreed. Other than that, it's a great comic. And like I said, if this was in Rage Across the Amazon, I would have been like, sweet. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. It yeah. would have felt totally in sync with that story. Mm-hmm. Um, so... There's an interesting thing to note. It's there. It's um, it's interesting. It is certainly different than the like the intro stories that we see in a lot of these books. So I think that um, if you like that sort of thing, you may get something out of it. Yeah, I mean, definitely look at it. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't base a character concept on anything. Right. For sure, that's fair. And this. Um, book like all of the other changing breed books begins with um with a character that could be old man many skins from the new isha book but maybe isn't i i can't quite tell if i'm right about that here but it's i know it's true in the other books yeah i i think that's what they were trying to do i think they're just trying to tie in all the books together somehow mm-hmm. um but yeah it, again it wasn't clear this introduction, like um, like a lot of this book, I think has tons of really good concepts that aren't linked together really well. Um, 
I, I don't want to like focus on the negativity, but I'm going to try and say that and it, and maybe mention it again a couple of times. Like there's a lot of stuff here that doesn't quite like it's idea after great idea that doesn't flow together particularly well. But it does talk about there being nine plus one tribes of Bastet. And I like the idea that there are all these tribes of Bastet. It makes sense for all the big cats to have potential like shifter families. And I actually like the speciesist element of Bastet more than the way werewolf tribes work. It actually makes more sense. Yeah. Um, but there, if there are all these werecats... Again, this is like a numbers issue that I have with the World of Darkness. How the heck are all there are all these different werecats, and yet um, people don't know about them, or that how like I don't know how they have all these different tribal connections. Well, I, I think part of it for the Bastet anyway is they were known, mm-hmm. you know, like they were worshipped in Egypt, they were worshipped in the Amazon, you know, like hundreds of years ago they were more known. And now that their numbers are low and, you know, the white man came in and all the drama with the history and stuff is part of the reason they're not quite as known. So that didn't bother, that part didn't bother me so much. There, there are other things that I was like, hey, wait a minute. But, but, um, you know, like, like, I think it's kind of like Bigfoot. People know, <laughs> but they don't. Right. Like there's a this undercurrent of we know they're sort of out there, but we don't yeah. know all the details. We don't go into the jungle. Why not? We don't talk about it. Right. Yeah. OK, I can I can at least conceptualize that as making sense. And the thing like, again, like for me, these nine tribes will just exclude the Ajaba for a second. Um, I like the idea that they're connected to the different cats because, again, that makes the tribal distinctions make way more sense. Yeah. And I think they could have done the same thing with werewolves if they were like, these are red wolves, as in, like, the sub, like, species of wolves that are red wolves. Instead of tying it to human culture. Right. Fair. Yeah. So that, like, part of me was like, okay, cool. Um, (laughs) So, real quickly, I want to say... I've had this book since it's been published. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been sitting on my shelf all this time. And when I picked it up this time to flip through it, I went, nine tribes, nine lives. <laughs> How did I never equate that before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the funny thing with this book is there are a lot of cat jokes. Like, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff where I went, oh, no, why did they? Like, at one point, they refer to to the things that the cats do is cat magic. Yeah. And I went, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll talk about cat magic because oh, I, wow. I have a rant prepared for that. Cat, cat um, magic just sounds like it should be a song in the musical cats. Right. It would, yeah, yeah it fit. Um, so there are nine tribes of Bastet. Um, <laughs> and they are the Bagheera, who are the Panthers, the Balam, who are were jaguars. The Bubasti, who are Egyptian cat folk, um, the Kelakan, who are um, related to a species of cat that most people aren't familiar with, called the fairy cat, um, which is found in um, the British Isles. Um, the Khan, who are were tigers in um, in the Indian subcontinent. Uh, the Pamunka, who are were cougars. The Kwami, who are were lynxes. The Simba, who are were lions, and the Swara, who are were cheetahs. 
and then there's this bizarre um, hyena folk that they've just rammed into the Bastet structure, the Ajaba. When they separate the Ajaba in the future from the Bastet, I really like that they do that. Um, mm-hmm. But for right now, I it, it they're there, so we're going to have to talk about them at some point. Yeah, well, it felt like they weren't sure where else to put them, so they just kind of dartboarded it. Yeah, which, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, I get that, and I think probably they were like, oh, we had this idea, but we haven't talked about them before, so maybe we have to connect them to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, let's, like, from the history standpoint, what were your main thoughts, feedback? Hold on, I've got a whole, I made notes. Okay, cool. Uh, my big, okay, so I'm just going to say it. There is a lot of forced mating in this book. Mm-hmm. And that was, uncom- especially because they didn't just call it out. You know, and, and so I was like, I don't know that I'd ever want to play a Bustet. Just because, like, their history is so steeped with them kidnapping people and mating with them, whether they want to or not. Like, that's in all of the history. I just I needed to say that because it's it's in every little sub box they've got in this book. Like and it, it it was a little uncomfortable. I actually talked to my husband about it, and he was like, "Well, it's cats, and cats are really sexual, and that's terrible." Mm. You know. Well, I mean, you know, the perception of, and that's what they're yeah. going to be writing with. Um, so that's kind of throughout the whole history unfortunately even in each tribes how the tribes came to be yeah in almost everyone there's some kind of like creepy well if you lay with me i'll give you this thing you know i was like oh no can can we talk real quickly about the the lexicon yeah sure yeah i really i get flustered when they just randomly change names of stuff because it's a different breed or whatever sure. Um, Because it's like, God, I've got to memorize all these new things. Um, So I I just need to, you know, White Wolf is a cookie cutter universe. Let the cookie cutters all be the same then. (laughs) It would be Um, helpful. But that that is a complaint I've had with White Wolf all over. You know, that's not this book. That's just a a frustration I have. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would like to say I really enjoy, like, I, one of the things in the lexicon that I found that I really enjoyed was they have a, and the thing I'm going to be the worst at in this podcast is pronouncing things. Sure. Most of these are completely unpronounceable words. Yeah. It's like, uh, the, basically the Bastet Clave, the mm-hmm. Hakar, I believe it is. Sure. Um, we'll go with I, that. Yeah, sure. Um, I didn't know what that was. And so I was like, well, I'm going to Google this, you know, because I thought I'll learn something new. And it's based off of a, a, a dagger called a Hungamunga, which, first of all, is a great name. Right. And it looks like this insane Klingon dagger tree thing that's got all of these, like, points coming out of it. And you throw it. And I, I watched a video of someone had made one, and then they had, like, an expert knife thrower come in. And what's cool about it is when they throw it, it's like a like a ninja throwing star. So it can hit any of those points and stick. And like it was heavy. And I just kept thinking uh, a silent cat 
creeping up on someone and just flinging one of these heavy swords and sticking it into somebody's skull would just be terrifying. So I I actually think that Bastet claves are more scary than Guru claves. Yeah, you have just sold me on that because that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, but seriously, Google it. It was it was insane. Like it like it would it, they were throwing it at wood and every time it hit the wood it was like thud. Like and I just like imagined like bones breaking every time. It was very cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Um I'll, but then going back to the history, I realize I'm bouncing around and I apologize. Um I really did like the uh, the way the Bastet explained uh, the Weaver, the Wild, and the Worm in mm-hmm. their own story, where they were all lovers. And so, like, the children of the Wild, um, and I don't remember because, you know, I just said I hate when they rename stuff. So, uh, the children of the Wild, um, you don't know who the father is, and it could just be both of them. And it's all about a lover's tiff between the three of them. And if they just get their shit together the world would be okay <laughs> which there's some there's some interesting commentary there which i also like appreciate and i like that it, they have a really specific view of that which is yeah. culturally appropriate yes them. yes absolutely yeah um i actually agree with you that it's really frustrating to get all of these new terms and the best that are full of them like yes. there's there's literally like two whole pages of words and they use them constantly. Um, for example, like I never remember what, um, and I don't know how to pr- pronounce this, but Tigram was the way I've always attempted to pronounce it. The yeah. Gen realms, like that's throughout here and Nala and Raja, which are the names for the different like triad. Mm-hmm. Great. I'm, I feel immersed in their culture, but I also am like, man, this is tough to track sometimes yeah yeah i had to make a little note to like on my bookmark to be able to go oh this is what they mean right Um, i will say the most important thing that i got out of this book was in the lexicon though on page 27 on page 27 i believe that's right anyway um they talk about selena which is the moon Mm -hmm. which is luna and they say that her that her body is said to be the final resting pl- resting sanctuary for all Bastet. And what I took from that is the moon is haunted by werecats. And now that is the only thing I'm ever going to be able to run with if I ever run another White Wolf game again. Yeah. Which is a that's a cool story hook right there. Yeah, exactly. But I was I was I actually had to stop and I was laughing because I just imagined all these ghost cats up there going Hey, <laughs> there's nobody here but us. Bat, bat, bat as they try to knock things off the moon. Right. <laughs> this sucks. Why is there only a flag? Yeah, you know, so. <laughs> uh, just, he's like, this is not what I intended for this podcast to become. <laughs> so I think that is both a great story hook and, of course, it brings, you know, it, uh, we could go off onto a tangent on it. Um, what I do find interesting about the history of the um, of the Bastet is they give you reasons for their singularity. Like they don't, most of the Bastet don't organize themselves in groups like werewolves yeah. do. Yeah. 
And they give some good reasons for that. But I also feel like it's a little bit overdone. Like the idea of like the independent cat on its own. And I'm like, but they're human too. Like, shouldn't that play into it to some degree? Well, and also at some point you go, let's say this is a tabletop game. You want your players to work together in some way, shape or form. Right. Like that's the big problem, even with the Corax as well. You know, Corex sit around and watch everyone. That's all they do. That's not really fun. Yeah, it's boring if you're a player trying to get involved. The concept is great, but in in actuality, role-playing it, it's like... Because I did that once at a LARP. They handed me a Corex to play, Mm -hmm. and then I didn't do anything. Right. I was like, oh, yay! You know, and I I would worry that a Bastet in a tabletop or LARP setting would, if you're following true to the book would be way more just, hey, storyteller, I need I need a scene. Hey, storyteller, I need a scene. And not with other players. Right. Which kind of defeats the whole purpose of getting together with a group and playing nope. a game. Like, oh. it's... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love the idea of one-on-one games, and I've run a couple of them, and I've played in a couple of them, but I'd rather have more than one person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So... I think our general impression is that the history is good. It gives us a good impression of, of the um, of the breed and their various tribes. You agree? I do. All right. Um, but then the second chapter is about the tribes themselves. So I'm going to ask you this tough question. What's your favorite tribe of Bastet? <sighs> okay. So deep in my heart of hearts, I'm a changeling player. Okay. You know, so I... I tend to lean towards the the fey ones the calicons uh, the see i keep trying to call them selena can oh, might be but i've always given them the hard cg sound because i think it comes from greek that word you know, but yeah I, see i words i don't know um <laughs> i'm an artist i don't talk um but I will say I really kind of dug when I when I when I reread everything. I really enjoyed the um, oh where are they at the the cheetah ones. Uh, the swara. The swara, yeah. Swara, yeah. I, I really liked them a lot. Um, they, there was just something a little fun. They, I mean, obviously, sound striders. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was like, oh, this is kind of cookie cutter, but it felt almost more realistic for them than it did for the silent striders. And yeah. and so like I felt I, w- I felt like, oh, this is what they were trying to do. Um I also enjoy the idea that um oh wait, you know what? I think I'm mixing something up. Oh goodness, there's so much here. Um there is so much here. That's part of the problem with this book. Yeah, like, ah. Um I I almost wish that this book had been split into three and was way smaller. And just like, here's a little, here's just a couple of them. Digest this. Um, but uh, back to the, to the Selena, Selena Kana, Wana, whatever their names are. Um, I, I thought those were house cats to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so like, I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, and, and so like, I, I did learn some fun stuff about that. And I always think that hidden tribes are very neat. Um, like, you know, no, we're dead and we're staying that way. It's good. Um, I don't know how they could have 
any of their powers and use them in front of anyone else without blowing their cover. But that goes back to then they're solitary and probably don't use those powers in front of anyone else that would know. Right. So, you know, I think it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. And it gets boring. Like, they're a cool concept. Right. Not for a tabletop game. Right. Like, I think a lot of these would be amazing NPCs in someone else's game. Right. You know, like, for for players to, to interact with, but not to actually play. Yeah. Which kind of, like, you give me a big book that's almost the size of a core book and then tell me, like, ultimately, like, these are almost unplayable and that's a frustration I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, th- one, of, one of the things that bothered me was I was looking at the numbers in mm-hmm. when, when we were going through all the tribes and looking at the numbers and like, I want to say it was the sim, not the sim, not the Simba, the, the con said mm-hmm. that, um, there was like less than 20 of them. Well, then why are they a playable, you know, and they said that for a couple of them where it was like their numbers were so ridiculously low. I was like, well, then this is just the salubri all over again. Yeah. You know, like, you know, because if you let one of your players play a con, they're all going to want to play something that's that rare. And you can't say yes to one player and no to the others and then. Suddenly, your game is filled with marshmallows, you know, and that's not... I like marshmallows. I shouldn't have said <laughs> I think that's fair. I think I'm on, I'm on the fence because part of me is always I want my players to be the special snowflakes. Mm-hmm. So, um, one, I, the Salubri are a vampire tribe who there are only seven of them supposedly left in the modern world. Um but Sorry. <laughs> that, that's all right. Just when we cross reference, I like to at least mention what we're cross referencing. Yeah. Um, but the there's a part of me that looks at this and goes, it makes sense that there's not very many of them. But again, I struggle with this idea that there are tribal distinctions. At least there are the species distinctions here for those small numbers. Mm. But it's still like, I agree with you, like uh, 20 con, like, wow, how do they even like, communicate if there are 20 of them left in the world well i think part of it is they actually gave a number Mm -hmm. like if they had just said their numbers are dangerously low okay that i i can work with that um i also should note that when i look at these books and i i give my opinion as a storyteller i'm mostly giving my opinion as a storyteller as a LARP storyteller. And there is a difference between tabletop and LARP because in tabletop, all of your, you know, your the five people at your table can very easily all be special mm-hmm. and unique. And that makes sense. But when you've got a LARP of 25 people, if they're all special, it's like you need people to be vanilla. Yeah. And, you know, so there is a difference in style for running a game. So that could be part of why I was saying that. Yeah, no, and I, I absolutely, having run LARPs myself, I absolutely agree with that. You've got to retain the genre, like as much as you want to let people play the cool character that they want to play, if they're, if everyone is a weird clan and you have none of the seven core clans of vampires or slash tribes of werewolves, like, right. you're immediately going to be like, all right, well, what's going on here? This feels weird. It's, right. It just Unless immediately changes the world. Game. Right. 
right. is all the weird things have gotten together to go, man, everyone else sucks. What do we do? You know, like right. that could be a fun game, but that would be a very specific game. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to talk about my favorite tribe of Bastet. Um, do it. Only because I don't have one. There are things I like about every one of these tribes. And I like find myself enjoying some of the story behind the Bubasti, who are the Egyptian ones. Mm-hmm. And I love the Kelikan because they are so particular to one part of, um, of Europe. And they have the connection to the Fae. And the Khan are really cool because they're the warrior, like, rulers. And then the Simba are these, like, kind of horrible, like, lions. Like, I want to like all of them, but then I find myself finding things that I hate about all of them as well. So, I think the picture, the drawing Mm -hmm. in the Simba, uh, for the Simba, makes me laugh the hardest about from anything in this book because it looks like he's flexing. (laughs) <laughs> like it looks like he's a bodybuilder actually showing off his muscles i'm the leader you know that was, so sorry anyway <laughs> no, right that's exactly what it looks like um <laughs> i do think like some of the the weakest art is from my perspective and i'm not an artist is in this section like some of it's evocative but most of it just feels silly Oh well, see, I actually like most of the art because I believe that's a that's Timbrook art. Okay. Um, and I right. Yeah, and I I will say this, and I know people will argue with me. I actually think Timbrook is the White Wolf art artist. Mm. Like when I think of books from White Wolf, I I think of his artwork. I mean, you know, he's also from the very beginning was part of it. Um. And and I just I don't know like he's got such a style that that his artwork always just makes me super happy. But that is that fair. picture cracks me up. <laughs> <laughs> fair. I, I was thinking of the Qualmy one because I keep accidentally opening to that one, where it's a, a Werelinks in Krynos wearing um, traditional uh, I think like um, Inuit uh, regalia with oh. with the like. Um, the sun uh, snow goggles on so that he doesn't have his like eyes get hurt from the glare of the glaciers or whatever. I, I actually think that's supposed to be a, um, a throwback to the story. Oh. Because in the story he loses his eyes. Oh yeah. Good point. So I think that's what, but yeah, it is kind of goofy looking cause he looks like uh, LaForge from the next generation. Right. But um, I also like Star Trek, so I'll make lots of those comments too. But um, but I but yeah, it was just done poorly, I think. But I think that's what they were. He was trying to show. I love the counterpoint because that makes me kind of appreciate the art, <laughs> linking back into that element. So, if you had a, had one of these tribes though that you were like, I don't, I, I would get rid of this tribe. Is there one of them that you would do? Um. I mean, none of them, like, jumped out as so terrible that I, I felt I needed to get rid of them. I kind of felt, you know, honestly, probably the, the one we, I, the one that I can't pronounce that we just said, the Quasa. The Calicon. No, no, the, the one. Swara. Oh, the Kwame. The, mostly just because I hate characters that only talk in riddles. Right. 
Um, and it's just because I'm not smart enough to 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 rattle off riddles really quickly to my players. <clears throat> and and so like it's you either end up with a player or a character that's so smart or so removing themselves from everyone else they can't communicate at all. Yeah. Or you end up with someone who is playing it um kind of like a what they call like a fish milk in vampire where they're just kind of being dumb mm-hmm. and misrepresenting things and you know oh no I'm crazy because look at me I'm hitting people with a fish you know it's like no that's not how that works at all and I'd be afraid that you'd get someone a player that would do that with riddles yeah I have the same issue there that I do with Puka Mm -hmm. where it's like sure you can always lie but that gets really dumb really quickly if it's not done well it's terrible Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I just realized we never mentioned that's fairly important just to the Bastet overall mm-hmm. is that each of these tribes has a set of secrets that oh, they yeah. don't tell anybody about called the Yava. Um, mm-hmm. And these are like weaknesses that they have. Um, and I, the idea of this is super, super cool. And that each of these tribes has these weaknesses and at least... Um, one of them, like their secrets got out at one point, the Calicon. The reason they're in hiding is because all their secrets got stolen. Right. And they've actually had to create new secrets to protect themselves. Like there's tons of story hook ideas in the Yava. Um, but on the same level, there are some of these that I would never put in a game. Um, for example, there's, there's one of them where if you put babies in front of the tribe, they eat yeah. them. Eat them. <laughs> I, and I was like, no, 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 no line. That is my like that is my standard line in the sand that I don't cross. Um, all right, now we all know Josh won't eat babies. <laughs> no, that's my line. Sorry. <laughs> I think some of them were really cool, and then others I think were really neat, but would never come into play ever. And so it was like, well, that's fun, but. No one is ever going to pour specifically white wine into someone's paw print. Right. You know, like, that's just a, like, so, like, it was this fun flavor that never gets to be put into the game. Right. And I don't even know how you would, like, seed that information to some, to, like, a hunter. Yeah, like. You don't, unless you just go, hey, pour white wine into his paw print. Right. Here, you've accidentally discovered one of the greatest secrets in the world, and it's ridiculous. Yeah, like, you're like, the only way to do that is they find it in a fortune cookie, because it's so ridiculous. Right. Uh, I was just reading, like, the Suara have one. The soil of the moon intoxicates them. Yeah. Like, the four... On the moon. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) The the four astronauts that have moon dust (laughs) on their boots... Those guys, like, they really know how to mess yep. those Suara up. <laughs> I think there's a lot of cool stuff in the Best Step book. Um, I'm going to transition and talk about story hook ideas. Um, one thing that I think is terrible in here is the hyena storyline of then lumping the Ajaba in there. But what were your opinions about the Ajaba and the hyena ish Um, I actually didn't mind the story of them so much, but I tend to like to play the downtrodden. Mm -hmm. Like 
anytime I have a chance, I'm like, what is the least liked thing in this game? I'll play it and I'll show everyone that it can be played. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I tend to gravitate towards that stuff. Um, my, my big issue with them, um, actually is more the handling of how, um, hyenas are in real life, uh, with, uh, their, their sexes and how they, they change them. Like at one point they refer to them as transsexual, which is not the right term. And it's never been the right term. It's not like how these terms shift sometimes to be more appropriate. That has never, you know, I did, I did Rocky Horror for eight years. I know what transsexual means, and that is not what the hyenas do. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, I can't imagine someone who was in a position reading that and just going, they're what? And then, you know, feeling bad about it. Like, that's not cool. Yeah. Um, you have linked up with exactly what my frustration is. It, is it, that yeah. presentation is, and I, I knowing Satiro Sprucato, he was trying to create a uh, a progressive idea in a way that's wrapped up in sort of like these real world frustrations and attempts to like understand identity. Mm -hmm. Which in '97 was one thing, and in 2019 is it, the way we express these things and talk about them and deconstruct them is very different. Yeah, but even putting on the 1997 sunglasses yeah. to look at these, like, like I said, I I was doing Rocky Horror at that time, right. and I can look and just go, no, yeah, like you know, Frankenfurter was not a uh, a, a wear hyena. Yeah. I mean, he was, but you know, that's not. <laughs> he was an abomination. Where hyena? No, we'll not go there. <laughs> um, yeah, Sorry. we're good. Yeah, <laughs> I think we've 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 talked about the Ajaba. The Ajaba are here. If you read the book, you'll kind of see what we're talking about. Um, I think the presentation. I think we're saying both saying the presentation could be done better and be yeah. more accurate to science, and also be more like sensitive, just in general. And I don't mean that sensitive, like overly sensitive just it could have been written more effectively yes absolutely for me um as a storyteller one of the things i really enjoy um from a story hook perspective is running games that connect to the alliance um of um, shifters that happens in africa to destroy the simba uh, and blacktooth in particular um mm, blacktooth who i actually think blacktooth is a great villain yes um, so I really enjoy the idea of running African campaigns. I, I um, have a connection to Africa from my uh, graduate studies research and things like that. So like things that connect to that sort of story, I'm really engaged by. Um, for whatever reason, the Ahadi. The Ahadi is the group that um, that is in Africa that goes and challenges Blacktooth. I think that is a great story hook all on its own. I think mm -hmm. creating an Ahadi campaign is a great idea and that's like my main story hook but um was and you mentioned some story hook ideas before but was there like a specific thing from this book that you're like this is a story that i would run with bastet out of here i'm gonna be honest nothing jumped out yeah. like they all felt so solitary that i never was like i want to run a bastet campaign sure 
you know, like, like I said, I think a lot of these would be amazing NPCs to show up randomly to, to give a riddle or to, to do whatever. But like, I, for me anyway, I don't think I could run a, um, unless I was running like an Egyptian, you know, but then what I would do with that is I just mix all of the Egyptian things together. Right. Because they, they've kind of created their own little world of darkness in Egypt that they don't, they, you know, you could never leave Egypt and have everything there. Yeah. When we get to the Rage Across Egypt book, I want to dive back into that because okay, yeah. I absolutely agree. And I, I have thoughts about that. Not for this podcast. Um, <laughs> I agree with you. Like there, the interesting thing for me is I actually get a lot of my story hooks from other books that end up referencing this one. So like mm-hmm. I was thinking a Hengeokai game would be great. But again, you've got to have that book, which is Changing yeah. Breeds of the East. And then you can use the Khan and um, some of the other you know, um, Bastet tribes in here really well. Yeah. Great across Egypt. You can use that. Um, so I think there's ideas here that get capitalized on later, but it feels really feels like this should have been its own game almost. Yeah. It could have been. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So with that, um, how many whiskers out of 10 would you give the Bastet book? I'd probably give it six. Okay. You know, like, I, I'm i not going to go out and run a Bastet book, but I think it's got some really good flavor to it to add to other games. It's yeah. like a spice. It's not your main meal. So it's like cumin that you would add in with the family. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, I'm, I hate giving any of... Uh, of Satiros's books lower than a six, but I would actually give this one a like five whiskers out of ten. All right. Because it's not internally consistent. There's a lot of ideas that can't get capitalized on just in this book. There's a lot of words, and they just don't they don't go smoothly with well. Yeah, like the whole Umbra thing is really confusing. Oh yeah. Yeah, like, we didn't even touch on that. Uh, Just real quickly, like, they can't go into the Umbra except for there's a level two gift that makes it so they can. So it's really not a big deal. Right. But then they have Den Realms. Yeah. So apparently you can only have a Den Realm if you have that level two gift, but they never say that. Right. And so it's just, it's very confusing. Um, I, I think if it had just been clearer, then it would have been fine. But it, it was more like they had this cool idea. And they put it in a couple places in the book when it should have just had its own section. Yeah, for sure. And I think, like, when I read Den Realms, and maybe this is just stealing things from other books, like, it, they can go into those and then go into the Umbra without the gift. No, then, I don't think so. I don't know. I, I don't either. <laughs> That's yeah, bad. I like, think if it, people, listeners, read the book and tell us what you think that is going on with the Den Realms, because we don't know. Yeah. Please read the book. Let us know. Um, we will definitely appreciate the, the feedback. Um, this has been Werewolf the Podcast. Um, I am Josh. I'm Carrie the Legend. We are happy to have you listening, and we will talk to you soon when we might finally get the answer to when will you get me the saucer of milk? This has been Werewolf the Podcast. Thundercats, ho!
The music provided in this episode is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. You can find his work by Googling Incompetech or Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. You can become a patron of Werewolf the Podcast via High Level Games at our Patreon at High Level Games. You can learn more about High Level Games at highlevelgames.ca or by Googling us. Thank you for listening.